Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us here for a special edition here on Encounter Grace. As you know, my name is Jason McKnight, and we're here to talk about the war in Ukraine and what's happening and what God is up to and how can we help. So to lead us in this conversation, I'm pleased to have an old friend with me, Pastor Leonid Regetta from River of Life Church, all the way from Dallas. Uh, he was born in Ukraine. His family came to the U.S., as uh, religious refugees some 30 years ago. And Leonid and I got to know each other while we were both in different seminaries, but we were part of the Sandy Ford Fellowship all the way back at the beginning of 2001, Leonid. Do you remember that? Those were the days. <laughs> Those were the days. Well, welcome. Listen, I know Thank you, you are doing so much right now. You told me just a minute ago, you're getting by on four or five, six hours of sleep. And so we really appreciate you joining us here. Uh, before we talk the heavy stuff, tell us a little bit about your family and a River of Life Church in Dallas, what God's doing there. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this broadcast, and thank you for raising awareness about what's happening in Ukraine and that part of the world. Um, so I moved to the United States uh, with my parents. I was still 15 at a time, and it was right before the Berlin Wall fell down, before the Soviet Union collapsed before all those monumental changes were happening in that part of the world. I'm a fourth generation underground church Christian, so you can imagine the shock and awe and differences that we encountered when we came to this country. But we will be forever grateful to the United States for the freedom it offers everybody to worship God as we understand and as we base our worship on the Bible. Um, I, uh, I am a pastor right now. Um, I call it an accidental church plant. We didn't mean to plant a church. We got kicked out of Russia many years ago. Um, we were missionaries there in St. Petersburg. And when the um, Russian government wouldn't give visas to our kids to continue ministry there, we ended up here in Texas because two of my sisters lived here and they invited us to come and live closer to them. Uh, we started hanging out with some Ukrainians, some Russians, some Belarusians, Moldovans, and others. And before we knew it, there was a, a community of people uh, surrounding us, and we had some picnics, some concerts, and we were like, Lord, what do you want us to do with all these people that are coming our way, including non-Christians? So to make the long story short, we accidentally planted a church and have been pastoring it for over 10 years. <laughs> That's great. I love it. And it's there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It is. We are just north of Dallas in the town called Plano now. We still call ourselves Dallas Church because of the reference. It's easier for people to know exactly where we are. But um, uh, there are about 70,000 Russian-speaking uh, people of various groups. Um, and I'm talking about Armenians and Ukrainians and Jewish and Moldovans and you name it. So that's for the Metroplex, Dallas, Fort Worth, and surrounding suburbs. Mm, so you got to have great delis down there. We do, and um, pierogies and pelmeni. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, you know, brother, help us. If, if I go five hours without reading the news, I'm behind 10 steps. As near as you can say at this moment, and we're recording this at 10 after four in the afternoon here on the East Coast, and we'll, we'll send it out a little bit later tonight, but what are you hearing? What's, what's happening now in your home country of Ukraine? So what is it, day eight today? Mm -hmm. um, it's been uh, a really 
difficult day uh, for some areas of Ukraine and also a relatively quiet day for other areas of Ukraine. I think right now there's an all-out assault on few strategic locations. Capital, Kiev, is being one of them, but also the southern part of Ukraine, the cities of Odessa and Kherson and Nikolaev and a few others. Um, I got a word yesterday um, about assassins sent out to kill a couple uh, chaplains that are ministering uh, to the army and uh, the village where those, they were hiding was just bombarded with the heavy artillery hoping to kill them. Thank God today I watched a live video of one of those chaplains and he's alive and he's continuous ministering and delivering uh, both spiritual and physical food and supplies to, to those at the front lines. But um, it's, it's not getting lighter. It's not getting easier. It's not getting simpler with each passing day. So day eight has been pretty tough. Mm. Every once in a while, we read a report, um, or, or I mean, everyone, like through the day, but like where, hey, some Russian soldiers don't really want to fight. They've been told it's a peacekeeping mission. They discover that it's not once they get there. Everything in me wants to believe that, but then like, what, what are you hearing from your friends? Are those things true or is it, am I missing it? Uh, absolutely true. Believe it or not, yeah. uh, this is absolute truth. Uh, Russian government is lying through the teeth to their own people. You would not believe the level of propaganda that is shown on TV. You would not believe the trust that people have, or maybe fear, uh, not trust, fear that they have of the government so they cannot believe uh, and block themselves from believing anything else. You know, they just follow the party line and they, they're told certain things and that's what they're subscribed to and i hear that from certain people there are relationships broken right now people block each other because they they dare to voice uh, uh um, information other than what is being officially presented by the party line uh tv or radio stations uh, there were a couple opposition or relatively free radio stations that were shut down yesterday in Russia. So uh, people don't know what is happening. We're in the West here for a few weeks. Have, we're hearing of, of uh, 150 or 200,000 Russian soldiers all surrounding uh, Ukraine, right? Um, it was on the news. We saw the pictures. We saw the satellite images. People in Russia had no clue that that's what, what was happening. They were brought like these young guys and they're young, they're 18, they're 19. I look at them and I want, my heart wants to cry because they don't even look like soldiers. You know, they look like kids, like my kids. And I look at them and I'm like, when they get arrested or they get captured, they're interviewed and I watch some of the videos of, uh, of their interrogations. Um, I mean, they're, they, they're telling stories of, their officers telling them, let's go for exercises and you're going to be in Russia. And then they cross the border during the night. They don't even know where they're going. They're just told, you know, this is the direction where you go. They don't know that they ended up in Ukraine 
Um, and when they do, they were told, many of them were told that Ukrainian people will welcome them as liberators. Instead, uh, Ukrainian people are ready to throw, throw themselves under the tanks and under their armored vehicles, um, and, and they're cursing them and telling them to get out. And, and uh, I saw some text messages of one soldier texting to his mom saying, I cannot take this anymore. I want to hang myself because they're telling us to shoot civilians. And and people are not welcoming us here. This is not what I subscribed and signed up for. This is not well, the experience that I wanted to have. And this sort of propaganda and, and lying that is, it has been happening for many, many years in Russia is, is, is almost like it reached its apogee right now, like culmination. And um, I'm, not uh, I'm not surprised at all to see those soldiers basically saying we had no idea. Now, there might be some that are hiding and now saying we had no idea too, because that's, that's a good thing to say. But I also have no reservations to say that for most of them, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, seeing that guy kind of tear up and break down when he saw his mom on FaceTime from the Ukraine. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. just breaks your heart. Uh, well, tell us also, oh, go ahead. Oh. Okay, tell us also, um, you, you have said already several times, and we all know it, it's day eight of the invasion. I don't think Putin thought it would take this long. Um, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, I'm not in his council. Oh, no, he didn't. The Ukrainian military is doing far better than expected. Civilians are stepping up. What's, what's going on there? Uh, good Ukrainian people, that's what's there going it on. Is. Yeah, that's what's <laughs> happening. Actually, uh, it's not just Putin that is surprised. I watched the interview with some um, major general of Pentagon here in the U.S., and they were saying that they didn't expect Ukrainians to last uh, so long and be, and be so brave. They didn't see, expect babushkas taking arms. They didn't expect uh, women uh, and, and beautiful girls uh, getting guns and going out. I mean, there's a uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, TikTok of one uh, young couple that uh, was married uh, in the Orthodox Church, a beautiful uh, marriage ceremony. And next day they went out and they got arms and they went out, both of them to fight. Lord protect them and keep them safe. That's all I can say. But um, uh, basically um, Ukrainians are fighting for their cherry blossoms. They are fighting for their uh, fields and for their farmlands and, and they will die uh, defending that, uh, that land. Um, to tell you the truth, this is not the first time that Ukrainians were placed in that position. I do believe, and it may sound like a surprise to some of your listeners, but I do believe Ukraine is a bargaining chip between empires, between the West and, uh, and, and Russia. Um, it has happened before. More than a hundred years ago, one of, a very, uh, one of the most famous uh, Ukrainian poets wrote a poem um, and uh, the title roughly is translated as um, looking into the hopelessness with hope. Mm. So you still have hope even when you're facing hopelessness. And that happened 100 years ago. Um, Ukraine has, has had to make those tough decisions and had to fight and had to stand up and protect its identity, its cult cultural, ethnic heritage. Um, it, it was fighting, uh, facing West, West, it was fighting, facing East, it was fighting also facing South to Turkish Empire uh, at some point as well. So 
Um, we had that happen before, and um, um, I think that DNA still is a part of people who are out on the streets and basements and rooftops defending their country. Yeah. Let me ask you one more question about the news coming out today. Not so much about the news, but about where to get the news. Um, because of all the disinformation and all that sort of stuff, how do you steer people to good sources for news coming out of Ukraine and Russia and the world? I, I have a hard time with that myself because everything is so fluid and everything is happening so fast. And sometimes um, the radio stations have to move their offices in the middle of some fighting. So um, connections are lost and, and there is no reception and all of that. Um, I, I got caught one time one time of posting something that turned out to be fake and I had to apologize and remove that from my social media and personally send some messages to people that um, that were voicing a concern about that being not exactly true but overall um, I, um, I think um, we just have to kind of check variety of sources that that's my recommendation at this point just don't rely on one channel. Don't just rely on Fox News or CNN. You know, go to BBC, uh, go to, uh, if you can, other countries and, and their sources. Try to uh, translate some of the news in Ukrainian or Russian. There's a lot of that um, and, and relatively easy to translate as well. Mm -hmm. So um, just do your best, hang in there. Um, I, we're all trying to figure out what is happening. Yeah, that's good. And, and I just, you know, you, you just don't want to be the guy sending out the sentimental thing that's just false, yeah. you know, because yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. wants hope. Okay, let, let's go from what's happening right now a little bit into the background, and you, you kind of already began it. I'd love to ask you maybe three questions or a fourth on, on the bigger picture. First question is this. Why do you think Putin invaded? What do you think he was expecting? Putin has invaded Ukraine because he has never agreed with Ukraine's autonomy. He actually had a speech uh, shortly before invasion where he basically said Ukraine doesn't uh, deserve its statehood. It should not be an independent country. We should be together and we, that's Russia, Ukraine and Belarus, Belarus and, and maybe even other places. So. We all know uh, his famous comment from several years ago where he called the breakup of the former Soviet Union the most tragic geopolitical uh, development of the 20th century. I mean, of, of everything that was happening in the 20th century, and we're talking about World War I, we're talking about the Holocaust, we were talking about uh, World War II, of all of those things, for him personally, the, the biggest tragedy is the breakup of this empire. Uh, he is a third generation KGB officer. Uh, he was steeped in, in this mentality, in this, this mindset that, that, that uh, this empire is all that matters. So of course he has tried and is trying everything he can to resurrect that empire, to bring those countries that sort of ran out of his sphere of influence back into the fold. But um, uh, specifically Ukraine, and I would say especially Ukraine because Ukraine has existed before Russia ever was. 
uh, the capital of Ukraine, Kiev, um, was there before Moscow was ever um, had before Moscow ever had its first inhabitant. I mean, um, it was the, just the, the woods when Kiev was a was a beautiful city, thriving and beautiful city with the help of Vikings from Sweden. In fact, uh, they came down. That's why the Ukrainian flag has the same colors as uh, Swedish flag right now. I, I don't know if you know. made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> I. I thought of that today, but I didn't know it was because, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So y'all um, make Volvos there too? Uh, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> we might have a chance to do that. But check this out. In the year of 988, so that we're talking about more than 100, uh, 1,020 years ago, that's when you, uh, the, then the country of Kiev and Rus, that's what it was called, was baptized into Christianity. Mm. That's like more than a thousand years ago. Now, the city of Moscow is about 800 years old. So it's younger uh, by centuries uh, than the country that was already existed where we have Ukraine now. So for Putin to lose that birthplace of his identity is, let's just put it very mildly, embarrassing. So he's doing everything he can including going through such extremes right now, he calls it liberating Ukraine. And liber let's ask ourselves, liberating from whom? From what? Right. Like he, he's trying to liberate Ukraine from the Western European influence because he wants to keep it in the, in the fold of Russia. You know, this, this, this harmony, as he says, of, of Slavic people, which, which in itself is... Uh, is a historical distortion because mm -hmm. Russia is composed of more than a hundred different nationalities and ethnic groups. You have some Oriental uh, people living in in uh, Russia. You know, Siberia and North has Eskimos and a lot of ethnic groups that that are not Slavic at all. You know, they're more Muslim. Have been Muslim, like Tatars and Bashkirs and Buddhist uh, groups in in Tuva, just north of Mongolia, for example. So, um, you know, they say conquerors write history, and that's what Putin is attempting to do. Yeah, that's you're exactly right. It. I mean, it seems to me as I've read it, and I, I you know, I don't know as much as you, um, the, the Budapest Memorandum 1994, where Ukraine gave up their nuclear arsenal in return for territorial integrity, um, and nobody did anything when Crimea in, in yeah. seven, seven, eight years ago. And it just feels like he's been emboldened by the inactivity of the folks in the West. That's my take. Well, you, I, I, you are spot on. I mean, uh, can I be critical of the U.S. on this podcast here? You're supposed to be. I'm Canadian. <laughs> no, you're not supposed to be, but you're allowed to be as long as you're okay. critical of Jesus. Uh, and, and, and I'm not, you know, coming out as critical. I'm just stating the facts here. But yeah. they happen to be critical because in 1994 in Budapest, there was an agreement signed between Bill Clinton and Boris Yeltsin, the president of Russia at the, at the time, and a Ukrainian president. And they agreed that uh, Ukraine will give up its nuclear warheads uh, with Russia promising to not mess with its territorial sovereignty 
and U.S. acting as a guarantor of that. Mm. So U.S. is saying, hey, we will be watching. We will make sure that that never happens. We will not allow that from happening. Well, for Russia, that went through the window, out of the door back in, uh, you know, eight years ago when it annexed the Crimea, when it sent its separatists to the to uh, break away, they call it parts of, of Eastern Ukraine. What did U.S. do at that point? Nothing. Well, sanctions. But what, what's good for Ukraine, those sanctions? You know, they hurt Russia, but they didn't help Ukraine. They didn't return Crimea back. They didn't return those two breakaway uh, regions uh, of Ukraine. And uh, I think Putin got emboldened by that. He realized that, you know what, we can live with those uh, sanctions. We will we survive and look at my popularity ratings. Now we have the Crimea. Now we have these parts of Ukraine and, and I can uh, continue fighting every day and order some shootings happening just so that Ukraine will not drift toward the West any more than it already has. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's um, it, it needs to be said that uh, U.S. is to blame for the um, 1994 Budapest agreement not being enforced. It's interesting how Proverbs says, don't put your name on someone else's loan. <laughs> like effectively, don't co-sign a loan. And, and this yeah. is not, you know, your kid buying a car, but this sure is uh, putting your name on a loan. And, and you're- Well, I think you're putting uh, your name on the loans of, uh, what is it, 40 some million people who lived in Ukraine mm -hmm. and you default. And, and the breadbasket of, you know, so much of that part of the world, uh, yes. as, well as, as well as other things. I, I actually did not realize how strong economically the uh, Ukraine is, I, yes. you know, yeah. Anyway, we can, we can talk about that. Um, you know, you said earlier, you're the fourth, your fourth generation pastor uh, and the first three generation were underground pastors. I forget if you said this on here or if you and I, when we were when we were talking and 20 years ago, but you have your grandfather and your great grandfather both were in the gulags, in the Soviet gulags uh, for their faith. What was that like for you growing up? Did they ever talk about that? Did they, was that part of your story as a family or was it quieted? Well, it was, uh, we talked about it, but very cautiously. Let me give you a story. My great grandfather, who was a pastor at the time, he, he got arrested. He ended up in a Gula concentration camp somewhere in the middle of Siberia. Um, he got really sick. He was, uh, I mean, you can imagine millions of people were dying from malnutrition and, and uh, uh, freeze and uh, extreme harsh weather conditions, all of that. One day, you know, he realized that's it, that he's dying. He cannot even go outside early in the morning. And if you stay behind, you know, they just literally just come pick you up and throw you out into the snow and, and you freeze to death with the very little breath that you still have remaining. But anyway, he, um, before falling, uh, to, falling asleep, he prayed and said, Lord, please accept my soul. Um, this is my last day here. I'm looking forward to meeting you. Um, please bless my family. And, and with that prayer, he fell asleep. Well, in his sleep, the angel of the Lord came to him and said, 
you will survive, you will go back to your family, you will pass your faith on to future generations, and they will be ministers of the gospel um, in, in this country and beyond. And then the angel said, there will be time when gospel will be preached all throughout this Soviet empire, mm. freely and openly in the streets, on stadiums, in houses of culture. Uh, there will be churches and church plants and all of that. Well, sure enough, he survived. He uh, returned back to his family. He shared these stories and his children and grandchildren, and I'm a great grandson, um, but all of us were telling him to hush and don't say this too much because for saying those things, you could be thrown back into the concentration camp. So we heard the, that about that dream. And we lived the, with the faith of that dream and with the conviction of our great grandfather. He didn't get to see that happen by uh, another year or two, but up until his last breath, he was sure that that will, will happen and will come. And sure enough, Ukraine was up until eight days ago, uh, the country that enjoyed probably more freedom to worship God over the last 30 years than even here we do in the United States. And, and I just saw something you had posted this afternoon about the strength of the church in Ukraine being a mission-sending country. That's fantastic. Well, I would say, and, and it's not just me saying, it's the mission uh, organizations yeah. from around the world that uh, compile these numbers and statistics. They say that Ukraine is the most evangelical and evangelistic country of Europe period. It has more evangelical Christians than Spain and Germany and Italy and uh, UK. So more evangelical Christians are located in Ukraine than anywhere else, number one. But it's also more evangelistic than any other country of Europe. In, in, uh, and by that, I mean, they're sending missionaries. I know Ukrainians uh, working in mission work in India, in Africa, in Asia, I mean, my uncle who planted uh, or participated in planting 27 churches in Russia, he moved to the US and he planted another five in the Seattle area. Uh, and he's Ukrainian. And, and here I am doing accidental church plant in Texas <laughs> and I'm Ukrainian. And um, I, I, I think God, God has a special blessing for Ukrainian people uh, in that sense and want to live up to that calling no matter what the circumstances. Amen. Well, okay, two more questions. What are you praying for? And then how can we get involved? And the reason I want to ask what you're praying for is because it's your heart, it's your homeland. I mean, you love this country where you're raising your family. God's called you here and you rejoice, but you know, your homeland. And so how are you praying there? And then how can we get involved? Because we want to pray like you, but we also want to get involved. Thank you. Thank you for those questions. Um, I am definitely praying for peace, and I would like to invite everyone to play, pray for peace. Not just peace for Ukraine, but also peace for Russia, uh, peace for the United States. I think we're talking about conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, let's not forget that U.S. plays a very big role in it as well, politically especially. Um, because there were a lot of negotiations. If we follow the news, there were a lot of talks between U.S. and Russia, between Biden and Putin, and between different teams of negotiator, negotiators from U U.S. and Russia. And when all of those broke down, when all of those collapsed, you know, then fights started happening in Ukraine. So again, Ukraine is a bargaining chip between the U.S. or the West 
and Russia. I don't know what the stakes are. I, I, it's, it's above my pay grade, way above my pay grade. But there are some demands. There are some things that are, were discussed and probably are continued to be discussed that, that they couldn't agree upon. And that's like way above Russia and Ukraine. It's between Russia and, uh, and, and the European Union and most likely even the United States. So my prayer is that all corrupted politicians be humbled and be frustrated by God. Uh, there's a Psalm 33, verse 10 and 11, which actually says just those words. God let uh, your power, your strength, frustrate uh, the kings of this world, let their plans be thwarted so that your plans, the mighty plans, the sovereign plans, the, the, um, the plans for, that are for good, that's what the Bible says, let that take place. So please pray for the US. Please pray for Russia. I got a phone call or message this morning from a concerned mom. She said, my son is being called back to the army again. And I know exactly where he's headed. And I don't want that. I want to get him out of the country. How can I do that? Can I send him your way through Turkey or through Kazakhstan or somehow? And, and, he, and this is not even the first mom that reached out to me personally asking if we can help their sons because they don't want, they don't want their sons to die. Who, who would, you know? Um, and, and a lot of people in Russia are suffering because they go on to the streets to protest this war. They're being arrested, they're thrown into prisons, and that's happening all throughout Russia. Uh, but but the, the chokehold of, of the government over people in Russia is so strong, so bad, that, um, that, that, that some people are just giving up and saying, what can I do? I cannot do anything, so I'm just gonna be quiet. Um, and especially pray for you, Ukraine, uh, for peace, for for this war to stop, so that um, moms and dads can be reconciled again, and dads don't have to say goodbye with tears in their eyes to their kids as they send them across the border. Oh, it's it, I mean I, I look at those videos and those pictures. It's something that I never thought I'll see in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. I'm in touch with people there daily, um, not just daily, several, uh, every several hours, somebody's reaching out and, and asking questions or begging for help or uh, clarifying directions of how to get to, to the border or where they can get shelter, that sort of thing. So speaking of shelters, you're asking me, how can we help? Uh, number one, please pray. Number two, raise awareness about Ukraine and the conflict there. Let, let it just be in your heart continually so you can be uh, reminded to pray. But number three, I'm in addition to being a pastor, I'm a chairman of the board of this nonprofit that has worked in Ukraine for many years. Nonprofit is, uh, has been around for 22 years. So we have solid partners. We have accountability in place. And I think on the second day of the war, so like almost a week ago, we already sent thousands of dollars to some of those partners' churches, which actually turned their church facility into a refugee shelter. So hundreds of moms and children come through on their trek to leave the country to Poland or Hungary or Moldova. They come through, they're fed, they're giving clothes, they have diapers that they give, give them, uh, blankets if need be. They are prayed for, ministered to, presented gospel. And um, those churches actually told us, we will do this no matter what. But if you guys partner with us, especially financially, we will be able to accomplish so much more. Mm -hmm. So if any 
uh, of your listeners would like to partner with us, um, the website is him4kids.org. Uh, and then I think it's forward slash uh, donate. Yes, uh, and I'm going to put it. that in the description here. So if you're listening uh -huh. to this, just, just scroll down to the description, himforkids.org. Yeah, so it's Hope International Ministries for Kids.org. So him for kids uh, and number four um, dot org. org. Um, your help, even if it's 50 bucks, 100 bucks, if your church would like to participate, if your church is looking for a place to or partner to invest and partner with, we would like to uh, offer ourselves as that partner. Mm -hmm. We have uh, photographs, we will have videos. We are already working in Ukraine. Poland and Latvia on the receiving end. So we have our people in se several nearby countries where they go to the borders, they pick up families and they take them and shelter them and, and feed them and, and provide for them. Um, we do think it's going to be a long-term uh, project to rebuild Ukraine as you see all those buildings destroyed and, and um, just so much that will need to happen bridges and roads i know that's more government responsibilities right. but i'm more concerned about people's lives and livelihoods i mean churches in the future uh, when ukraine wins and they will win um we'll need to go and send our teams to do summer camps for those kids and maybe initially we would have to uh, bus those kids to a nearby countries like latvia and poland and just give them a little bit of joy even for one week if our christians can come alongside ukraine uh, but that's a little, little bit more long term right now we are concerned about um what is it 1.2 million women and uh, children that left the country okay. already just in the eight days alone Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's a const, constant streaming that is still happening. Yeah. And Sean Penn, he left. He did. He did. <laughs> he, he, he tried to take as much film as he could. Yeah. But I think those explosions were too much for him. <laughs> well, listen, I'm so glad to know that not only can we learn from you, Leonid, but also if someone is looking for a way to give, here's a way we can help uh, folks it, it help the churches be the gospel of Christ, be the witness and yes. light of Christ in the cities of different parts of Ukraine. Himforkids.org. Uh, thank you, Leonid, for that. Thank you also for sharing uh, with us what you're praying. And my brother, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know you're exhausted and you're going, but you're serving the Lord by, by helping us. And so I really appreciate thank it. Thanks. Thank you. This is my third interview today, and I have one more radio interview tonight. Well, you have a face for radio, so it's good. <laughs> uh, Pastor, uh, thank you and your people as well. Um, together, we will do whatever God wants us to do. Well, and that's all we can do. But Leonid, thank you so much. We love your faith. We love the hope that you have in Christ, but also in the affairs of this world. And you know, when someone comes after your home, everybody fights just a little harder and yeah. you're seeing that by your compatriots and i love it i love it thanks leonid so much thank you. have a great and, day you all god bless and everybody thank you for joining us here on encounter grace and we will be with you the next time blessings